Galatians 6 re reminds us that God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Just can't get around that. So truth. Truth is based on the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that that basic point you understand deeply, that it's not, you're not turning to Fox News for your truth or MSNBC. Because you will be an angry, confused person over time. Abounding in Faith is the broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Bible Church of Howell, New Jersey. If you are blessed by this message, please subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. You can also download our app by searching for IBCNJ in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org. Our speaker today is Senior Pastor Joe Suazo. I'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Ephesians as we are finishing up this series in this wonderful, amazing letter from the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're in chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the first three pieces of the armor of God today. I hope you're excited about that. And uh, it's a great application for our lives and how we walk with the Lord. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10, and we're going to read right through to verse 15. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the evil, the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Father, as we just spend some time meditating and and just trying to learn through this, we ask for the liberty of your Holy Spirit to bring application to our hearts and minds. You know where each of us are at in our lives, our struggles, our personal hang-ups, the things that we face, Lord, day in and day out. You know it, Lord. You say in the Psalms that you know our thoughts from afar. And so we ask, Lord, that you be attentive to us this morning, that we may have learners hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so the clarion call here in verse 10 is that we are invited to be strong in the Lord and the might of his power. It's something we all want to do, right? When we face this many, many obstacles and difficulties in life, we want to sense God's power and strength along the way, don't we? But often we don't. Often we struggle. And the question is, why? Well, this passage helps us because 
we're not only invited to be strong in the Lord in the might of his power, but then the Apostle Paul gives us some instructions on how we're to do that. We're to put on the full armor of God. And when we do that, when we take on these pieces, it's a metaphor. It's a picture of these various uh, components of the armor of God. Uh, there is a great sense of God's presence and power in our lives. Uh, there are six pieces that he's going to talk about. We're going to talk about three uh, this morning. We're going to be talking about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes or the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. And so we're going to look at these three this morning. There's also three key verses or phrases, if you will, words in the text that I want us to just give attention to. So if you're underlining or taking notes, here are the three key words, key phrases that you want to be attentive to this morning. Uh, the first is the strength of God's power. We're invited simply to be strong in the Lord. Uh, you know, if we take the time to really think about where we're finding our strength and really slow ourselves down to examine our hearts, to see where we're leaning on for our support and strength, a lot of times we are not leaning on the Lord for it. During this crazy COVID season, I hear a culture leaning on everything but God. Trusting in everything from immunizations to masks to governmental policies. Not that all of it's bad. But it's hard for me when I look at the sum total of it. That it's not a leaning on the Lord. Yet to us as believers, his church, we're being invited to take a different perspective here. That we're to lean on him during trial, during tribulation. And so that has to be reiterated again and again in this text. We need God's presence and power to face bigger and stronger things in ourselves. I mean, amen to that. We're all like King David's facing a Goliath in this life, are we not? The second key word here occurs four times, and it's the word to stand. In verse 11, we're to stand against the schemes of the devil. Remember we looked at this last week? The original language is methodology. That's where we get the word method from. The devil is looking for a weakness in your character, in your life, to attack you, to tear you down, to destroy you. We're to take a stand against it. In verse 13, we're to stand against the evil day. Are we not in the evil day? This is the evil day. And then again, we're invited to stand firm in verse 13. And finally, the fourth time it's mentioned in verse 14, we're to stand while putting on the belt of truth. Stand, 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 stand. The idea here is to be immovable against opposition. We're not to be pushed back. We're not 
a people who are defeated. But Scripture teaches us that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are victorious people. We reign above our circumstances because of who he is, not because of who we are. Then the third key word in the text is wrestling or struggle in it. In the original language, it was used actually for the sport of wrestling in the Greek world at that time. You know, this is just a confession here. Don't ask me why, but I like to watch fights on UFC on YouTube channel. And boxing, old boxing matches with Muhammad Ali and all those. I, I like it. Don't ask me why. Maybe I'm a little sick. But it is a parody. It's a, a picture of what life is about, right? I mean, we're all in the boxing ring. You know, we're all getting pounded daily. I mean, I love talking to people who, you know, they have this idea of retirement. And they're going to take it nice and easy. I talked to them a couple months later. They're pulling their hair out. They're either more busy than they were before or they're, they got problems that they didn't think they were going to have. My wife and I go visit my uh, mother-in-law regularly down Florida, wonderful lady who came to Christ at the age of 89. When we go to the clubhouse there or wherever and you're sitting with a friend, all they talk about is their aches and pains for crying out loud. Great retirement. Life is a struggle. It's a wrestling match. But we are on the winning side when we have the Lord. Amen to that? And so we're going to look at these three key pieces of armor and what that all means to flesh it out. Let's begin with the belt of truth. You know, we're in a culture in crisis when it comes to this word truth. If we want to truly understand why our nation is in crisis, look further, no further than a culture that is confused on its source of truth. You know, while the United States was founded, really, by the Puritans, I don't look at the founders as the founders, the Puritans, they had a vision, and it was based on the revelation of God's word, and in fact, uh, the main curriculum all the way to 1830 in the United States was the New England Primer. This was 150 years, generation after generation after generation. New England Primer, uh, their kids were being taught, A, Adam sinned, you know, things like that. And then the Bible and the hymnal. That was the curriculum. And then, of course, and then we transitioned in 1830 to what is called essentialism, math, reading, uh, science, and history. And it was a slow departure from the revelation of God's word. And we ask ourselves, why is, do, are we in a culture that is in crisis? Because no one knows what truth is anymore. If you were to ask the average person today, most likely, what, what is truth? Most likely the response would come down to their own viewpoint 
or the viewpoint of a particular group that they're advocating on behalf of. Uh, in political science theory today, they call it tribalism. We have the LBGT group, we have the Antifa group, we have the conservative group, we have all these groups that are, have competing interests, competing worldviews, but really no one knows what is the truth. There's not a compass guiding anyone except their own ideas. The conflict in our culture about gender and sexuality or what good policy or law is, is not a physical struggle of just two opinions, my friends. Uh, when the um, Equality Act was just rolled out, which would be a great offense to the church, by the way, and take away freedoms to worship. People don't realize that. What was behind the, they always put these nice words behind these things. What was behind it is a spiritual battle. And it only once in a while will come up. There was one congressman down in, in Florida who decided to call out one of the, the uh, committee members who formed the bill and he says, this is something that's against what the scripture teaches. And that person said, well, what does God have to do with it? That's where we are in our culture. In philosophy, there's two basic questions that, that have to be answered. What is truth? That's called epistemology. And why? Why are things the way they are? That's called metaphysics. All philosophical systems and viewpoints embrace, have to answer those two questions. A person who leaves God and his word out of the equation cannot answer either question with any confidence whatsoever. Truth becomes a matter of opinion. One's person, person's existence gravitates almost to the absurd without God. And because young people no longer have confidence in, in what is true and no reason to live, we have a culture in crisis. Only revival is going to bring us back. You understand that. The book of Judges is a beautiful portion of scripture. Book of Judges covers about 400 years. Before Judges was Joshua. Now Joshua was received the call from God after Moses died. Remember Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because he disobeyed God in, in front of everyone. He was able to see it. And then when he died, it was his authority was commuted to Joshua, who then went into the land and conquered it. And Israel was established as 12 tribes in the land of Israel. And they prospered greatly for two generations. And then there's an amazing thing that happened in the book of Judges. It's a phrase that comes up repeatedly they forgot the law of God, the word of God. And then there's this one phrase that's repeated several times. Each began to do what was right according to his own eyes. That, my friends, is called relativism. And relativism is the rot of the society. Where everyone has their opinion about anything, but no one's right or wrong. With that kind of viewpoint, my friends, 
Hitler would not be stopped. A Stalin would not be stopped. The only thing that stops has a sense of what true righteousness is and what is right and wrong. And we're not going to get that from someone's opinion. It's going to come from the Lord himself. Like Israel, our culture is in a crisis of truth. Departing from God's word, instead of prosperity, we now have conflict. Instead of prosperity and hope, we see a steady erosion of wealth and increasing debt. Galatians 6 re reminds us that God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Just can't get around that. So truth. Truth is based on the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that that basic point you understand deeply, that it's not, you're not turning to Fox News for your truth or MSNBC. Because you will be an angry, confused person over time. Well, 6.14, Ephesians 6.14, encourages us to fasten it on, to put on the belt of truth, this piece of armor, by the way, had two great purposes in the, in the Roman outfit, the Roman soldier's outfit. One is it, it held the weapon. I mean, they could not have a weapon to defend themselves without that, that belt. That was its first purpose. And the other thing is on that belt was the rank often. The rank, if it was an officer or something. So identity and an ability to stand against the enemy. Those were the two things. If truth is critical to the way we see our world and stand against the devil, the enemy, then the question is, how do we put it on? Well, first, we need to be convinced of its source. We need to have absolute confidence in the inerrancy and in infallibility and the authority of God's word. This was not written by men, but men were carried along by the power of the Holy Spirit. In a miraculous way, this book, the Bible, was given to us by God that we may know truth, that we may put it on. What did God tell Joshua? He said, may this book not depart out of your mouth, but you may, may you meditate on it day and night, being careful to do everything that it says. He said, then you'll prosper and succeed in all you do. So we have to be convinced of its source, not listen to the voices in our culture that's dishing out a lot of baloney, basically. Let me give you an example of how this is so practical. Let's take a person who all their life is being told that their worth in their life has to do with financial security. They work all their lives to be financially secure. Or all their life they're told that if they accomplish something great, then they'll be worth something. Or they have a good career, then life is good. Sound familiar? This is what our culture's spitting out 
ad nauseum. Is it wrong to have financial security? No. Is it wrong to have a career or a vocation you enjoy? No. Is it wrong to uh, accomplish something great? No. None of those things are wrong in themselves. But the question is, why are we doing them? If we're doing them for our own self-glory, then at the end, when we lose those things, and we will when we get older, or we'll see the emptiness of those things, then I no longer have worth. Or if you're a person who just struggles to achieve any one of those things, then you are a worthless fellow. But now, let's just say, I take God's word at face value, and he tells me, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and I've got great purposes for you. You just commit your life to me, and I will show you great and wonderful things that you have not seen. Deuteronomy 31. Now, I have great value. I'm a, according to scripture, I'm a, from the royal priesthood, I'm a chosen person. I'm from a, a, a great nation of people, the church, God's people. And now I can hold my head up. I remember when we went into the untouchable community in India with this message. And we saw people's lives radically transformed. They were told all their lives, you're untouchables. They did not desire to get a higher education because they, they said, you know what, the best hope for you is to be die and maybe you're going to be born and reincarnate into something else. That was their hope. Then the gospel came along and said, no, you're not an untouchable. You're a child of God that has infinite worth because of Jesus Christ and the price he's paid for your sin. That community went from being impoverished and we've literally, not that they were pursuing wealth, but God began to bless. And now you're going there and their children are getting doctorates. They're running businesses. And they have a whole different mindset. What changed? <laughs> they're understanding themselves from God's point of view. Now they're living for God's glory. Are you living for God's glory this morning? When you wake up, are you choosing to do what he has invited you to do? then you're wearing the belt of truth. Just saying to yourself, I'm putting on the belt of truth, doesn't mean anything. You've got to know what it means. And so if we're going to take a stand against the devil, we need that peace. We need that truth in our lives. Second component, breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. You know, this protects the vital organs of the body in the Roman soldier's outfit. And, and there's two ideas behind righteousness in Scripture. Two theological concepts. The first is the righteousness of Christ, and the second is our walk in righteousness. Let's talk first about the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is the idea that when Christ died on the cross for your sin, my sin, the punishment that was due to us because of our unrighteousness, his righteousness is imputed to us. So now we're able to stand before God, not with our righteousness, but with the righteousness of Christ. 
And so when scripture says you're holy and blameless, and you're like, not me. You're right, not you. You're holy and blameless because of Christ's death on the cross who paid for 80% of your sin? You guys aren't even disagreeing with me. What have I got here? Don't tell me you're theologically inept now after all these weeks. 80%, 85%? Okay, come on. 90? How much? So if you're 100% forgiven and now declared righteous by God, when you stand before him, there's freedom. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus Christ, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Paul framed it this way. I love these verses in Romans 3.21. And now a righteousness has been revealed, a righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, whom God put forward as a sacrifice or propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Well, how does this truth practically uh, help us? The righteousness of Christ. Well, the devil, whose name is called the accuser, that's one of his names, accuses believers, it says the brethren, he accuses them day and night. His main strategy against us is to accuse us of our Sin and guilt. Have you ever had that feeling? Oh no, I did it again. I, I can't believe how stupid I am. I did that thing. I said that thing. Why am I so angry? Or whatever that palette of sin that we struggle with is. Guess what? You are not going to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps on this one, my friend. You need Christ to be the center and front of your faith. His righteousness. If we confess our sins, the scripture says, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? That means we get to stand before God free. And when we do that, by the way, we gain greater victory over sin. When we learn to do that. Because we're not fighting from a posture of a weakness. We're fighting from a posture of strength. Be strong in the Lord and the might of his power. Well, the second aspect of righteousness is this. Our righteous walk with God. It's the way we live. To walk in righteousness. This means that we're to consciously, with the power of the Holy Spirit... Live with our affections and our desires for the things of God, not sin. We are to walk in righteousness. If you're honest, there are certain sins that you love. Right? Why is everyone looking away from me right now? <laughs> there are certain things we love that are, are either not true or they're not going to lead us to any place good. We think about them. We gravitate towards them. 
We have to be resolved within ourselves on a daily basis to pray through the agency and the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in holiness. When we do that, instead of walking with shame, we walk with our heads up. And we walk with a sense of victory and a liberty that comes from the Lord. It's a better way to live. Some of us know it. It's so good to walk in holiness. I, I, I laugh at some people who say, you know, the kind of life you're telling me there sounds like no fun. Oh, I tell you what, I would not trade uh, a thousand days of the sinful pleasures that I've had before Christ, the things I used to do with one day of walking in the Lord and the strength of his power. It's sweet to walk with him. Look at, listen to what 1 John tells us, chapter 2, verse 29. Since we know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Romans 6, 13, we're invited this way, present your bodies as instruments of, of righteousness, not, I'm sorry, present your bodies not as instruments of unrighteousness for sin, but as instruments of righteousness to God. How does this practically help us stand against the devil? Well, if he's accusing you day and night and looking for opportunities to put you to shame, if you're walking in holiness, you have nothing to be ashamed of. You don't have to be ashamed of temptation, but conviction of sin when you've folded and yielded to temptation, you should be ashamed of, and you need to turn a Lord, and get your hearts right with God. There's a difference. A lot of people are ashamed of things they shouldn't be ashamed of. Temptation, it's not, we stand with the word of God against temptation. Temptation becomes sin when we yield to it. The second way it helps us is we maintain our witness as believers in a world that's full of trouble. There's nothing worse than a hypocritical believer, Right? He calls himself a Christian with that attitude? He claims Christ? Look at what he's doing. <laughs> There's nothing worse than being a bunch of hypocrites. We don't want to be those people, right? So we have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and then finally, shoes. I call them shoes for sharing the gospel. Let's talk about what the gospel is, just for a moment. The gospel simply means good news. Good news. The good news is simply this, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not... Wow, you guys are good. Not perish. Who wants to go to hell and perish, right? But have everlasting life. That's good news. It is. Very good. Instead of a destiny of condemnation away from God for all of eternity, without hope for the future, now, through Christ, I'm filled with hope. That's good news. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, when we believe in him, we not only have a hope of eternal life, but even in this life, we're free because the fear of death and the fear of the future 
is no longer hampering us, but now we know we have something that's greater than whatever life can throw against us. What Paul say in Romans 8, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress? No. Persecution? No. Nakedness? Famine? Danger? Sword? No. And all these things were more than conquerors. You know, the world right now is fixated on a COVID death clock. I mean, think about how morose and how it's a testimonial of where we are as a world now, whether it be Asia or North America. But the Apostle Paul encourages us. Listen to what he says. I'm Peter, rather. Peter 1, verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In a world that thinks death is the worst case scenario, a world that's looking to escape suffering at all costs, we do not fear death and we can embrace suffering knowing that we have a God working all things out for the good because we love him. That's good news. Well, how do you, there's a word in Ephesians 6.15 about these shoes. By the way, if you're a Roman soldier, you cannot fight a battle without shoes. Imagine going out on the battlefield. You got your sword, you got your thing, but you're in bare feet. Not good. One stamp on the toe. Uh, someone was sharing with me, my dear friend Brett, who's trained in these martial arts. He says, all you have to do is just quack on someone's toe in self-defense. They could be immediately crippled if you hit them in the right place. You can't fight if your feet are hurting. Shoes. How do we get these shoes on? How do we put them on? The word readiness is the idea of training. To be prepared. Roman soldier before going into battle would receive four months minimum of training in marching and weaponry and many more months before he'd go on to the battlefield. If he were to go on train, what do you think would happen? It would be disastrous to fight against the enemy. Every day, wherever we go, our shoes go, right? Unless you're anyone here with bare feet this morning? One. We have to have one with bare feet. He likes to play the drums with his bare feet. But generally speaking, we put on shoes wherever we go in this culture. Where our shoes go, we go, right? If your shoes are going in one direction, you're going in another, there's a big problem, right? Now the question is, is what kind of shoes you got on? Do you have shoes that are do you have shoes that are, are going to tell a message so that when you come to those people who are hurting and suffering, that you have a hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can bring to them because you've prepared yourself, you've put the shoes on, you tied the laces, and I said, I'm going out today, so if the Lord brings an opportunity to me, I am going to share something about his love. Or, 
You can have shoes of selfishness, shoes of fear, shoes of anxiety. There's all kinds of shoes, right? Women, you know that there's all kinds of shoes, right? I got three pairs. My wife's got like three pairs. <laughs> Almost threw myself under the bus there. She used... But the point here is that we have something beautiful to share with a hurting world. But you have to be ready to do it. That's one of our primary calls in life, to be lights of the world. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5? A city set on a hill cannot be what? Hidden. Everyone can see its light. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of his visitation. And I want to finish with these two wonderful pieces of scripture here. Just reminding us of our great call as believers to proclaim Christ. First is from 1 Peter 2.9. It says we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession will proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our identity. Light bears. And then the second promise. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, We are new creations in Christ. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. But for what purpose? That's the question. Paul continues. This is from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Shoes of the gospel. So, what are you going to do this week? Truth. You have to be in it to win it, right? In it to win it. Truth of God's word. Every day you're going to be meditating on that word. The belt of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, remembering that I don't stand before God because of me, anything I've done, not by works that we're saved, but by grace through faith, because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. And when I walk righteously, I do not have to be filled with shame, but filled with a sense of confidence in the way I live. And then finally, the gospel. We are to carry it and bring it everywhere we go. That those who are without hope may receive hope. Those who are struggling with fear and anxiety may know there's one greater than their fear and anxiety. Those who are so mired down in their trial, their difficulty, we can tell them there's one who gives us victory over those things. And those who are fearful of death, that we would tell them there's one who lives. And because he lives, in Christ we too will live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these beautiful scriptures.
and the many, many applications we can find with our heart. We pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would be kind to us to help us to apply each of these things that you may be glorified through us, Lord. Help us towards that end, we pray. In Jesus' name.